We're going to begin reading at verse 11. We do read in verse 11 of Luke 17. Now it happened as he, that is Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus headed to Jerusalem. We know that we've been in this section of Luke's gospel that started in chapter 9, verse 51, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He would pass through, first of all, Samaria, and then come into that area of the southern part of the country called Judea, Samaria being in the middle. And as he has been in Judea and also on the east side of the Jordan River, that area was called Perea. We know that he sent the 70 out two by two to go into all the villages preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. We also know that Jesus has been going to the different villages, just as he did up in the Galilee region, but in Judea, and he's preaching. He is talking to the people about salvation, that narrow is the road that leads to eternal life. He is talking to the people about discipleship, the cost of following after him, picking up their cross and and coming after me, and then also about discipleship. We will see that he's going to talk about his return next week when we continue through chapter 17. So he is speaking honestly to the people. And we know that the religious leaders are mounting up their opposition against Jesus. And it is believed at this point of Luke's gospel, this story recorded for us, that perhaps as Jesus is in that area of Judea, he would go up to Jerusalem. And there is where John chapter 11 would take place. Recorded for us there as Jesus went to, as John chapter 11 says, to Bethany, the town of Mary. Mary and Martha, sisters, their brother Lazarus had died. And when Jesus showed up to Bethany, only two miles from Jerusalem, there he would raise Lazarus from the dead. He made that, that incredible declaration, that great I am statement, that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And as he raises Lazarus from the dead, then word would spread of that mighty miracle that took place. The religious leaders are furious, particularly the Sadducees, because they do not believe in the resurrection, and Lazarus is bad for their theology. So the religious leaders are wanting to kill Jesus. They're wanting to kill Lazarus. The hostility of the religious elite towards Jesus is at a boiling point. And so John chapter 12 tells us that Jesus would then go from there to a village of Ephraim, which is up north. And he would go through Samaria, which is the middle section of the country again, and then up to the very southern end of Galilee, which is right there, Ephraim, on the border of Samaria and Galilee. And many believe this is where this vignette takes place. We will see that one of the lepers that is healed here is indeed a Samaritan, and Jesus gives indication that the others were Jews. We're going to see that from verse 18. He then, after this story, he's going to start making his way to Jerusalem, 
for the Passover, and he will go to the cross as the Passover lamb of God, dying for our sins. But at this time here, he is near this village. If it is Ephraim, he's getting ready to go into the village. And as that has taken place, he's encountered by 10 lepers from a distance. They are yelling out to him. Now, leprosy, we see it in the scriptures, and particularly in the New Testament. If you had leprosy, you were not allowed to go into the villages. You were not allowed to go into the populated areas because that disease was so contagious, highly contagious. And here are these 10 lepers. At least one is a Samaritan that we know of, the others being Jews, and they are together. Also keep in mind as this vignette unfolds before us here in the text that Samaritans and Jews had great prejudice towards one another. They hated one another. We've talked about this in our previous studies in this parable of the Good Samaritan. Also, we know the history behind the Jews and the Samaritans, and it would lead to that just great prejudice towards one another, and they would avoid each other. That's why you read in John chapter 4 that when Jesus is at Jacob's well and a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, that Jesus, as he begins to converse with her, that she says, why is it that you, being a Jew, are talking to me as Samaritans since we have no dealings with one another? So here is this group, they are together because this disease of leprosy has brought them together. Uh, Otherwise, they would never be together. But because they could not be with their families, because they could not go to the synagogue to worship, because they couldn't go to Jerusalem to the feast. They weren't allowed to go into the villages. They weren't allowed to have relationship with others, only other lepers. And they would be isolated. They would live in tent-like colonies or cave-like colonies with other lepers. They could not see their family at all. They could not celebrate birthdays. If they had word there in the camp that one of your family members had died, they could not go to the funeral. They were considered outcasts in society. Again, they couldn't go to the feast. They couldn't worship in Jerusalem. They couldn't go and be a part of any religious life in the nation. And they would be branded by the religious leaders as sinners, and the judgment of God was upon them. You see, that's how the rabbis and the religious leaders would explain any kind of physical infirmity in the scriptures. You might recall in John chapter 9 that the man who was born blind, that the disciples, when Jesus saw that man, it it was the disciples that said, hey, who sinned that he's born blind? Is, Is it he that sinned in the mother's womb, or was it his parents? In other words, somebody messed up. And they're asking that question because, you know, that's what they were taught. They were taught that, that somebody could sin in the mother's womb, or the parents sin, or because you had a physical infirmity later in life, that it was because the judgment of God was on you. And we know that in John chapter 9, Jesus just dismissed all that. He said, neither. That isn't the case here, but that the works of God may be glorified, and he would bring healing to that man who was born blind. So they were ostracized in society. When a leper was walking down the road, if you saw somebody was coming your way or somebody was coming up behind you as a leper, you had to to yell, I'm unclean, I am unclean, and you had to get off the road so that person can pass you by. And so it was against the law to have any contact with someone with leprosy. There 
was uh, no cure for the disease. Still is no cure today, but there are treatments today to keep the disease at bay. It's called Hansen's disease in some parts of the world, particularly in third world countries, that there's some pockets where leprosy can be a problem. If you had leprosy in Jesus' day, it was a death sentence. Now, when you read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, which, by the way, are the two longest chapters in Leviticus, it deals with leprosy specifically. Chapter 13, with the diagnosis of leprosy by the priest. Chapter 14 dealt with the offering of the priest given if one was healed or cleansed of leprosy. Remember, there's no medical cure for leprosy. And in chapter 13, the diagnosis of leprosy by the priest who was not a doctor, but it was very detailed because once you were declared that you had leprosy in the Old Testament wilderness wandering, you were out of the camp. Again, at this time, you weren't allowed to go home. You weren't allowed to go to work. You weren't allowed to go and worship. But they had a very detailed in chapter 13 because they wanted to make sure that, that no one came and perhaps they had hives from allergies or psoriasis or eczema. And so that detailed description is given in chapter 13. And as you read it, it tells you how leprosy would start out with small beginnings. Maybe it starts out with your joints that are hurting. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a bump. Maybe you felt like you scraped your nose or your hand, your finger. And, and it looks like it's a scrape. And it, it begins to seem like it's healing. Maybe a scab-looking uh, kind of sore that is there. But eventually, it begins to maybe turn white. And then it turns black and sinks below the skin. When you are determined that you had leprosy by the priest, it is believed also that the priest had a record of those who had leprosy when they were diagnosed with it. You are not allowed to go back home. You are not allowed to go anywhere. You were completely cut off from your family at that point. You were cut off from others. You would be isolated. You were forsaken. You were banished. And the disease would begin to progress. The leprosy with small beginnings began to increase. It began to increase on, you know, as it attacked the appendages, that is the nose, the ears, the fingers, the toes, because they are a little bit cooler on your body. Matter of fact, they've done studies with armadillos that are about armadillos, their body temperature is about two to three degrees cooler than a human body. And they found that when it's cooler at that temperature, that the disease spreads quicker. And that's why the, the fingers would begin to be eaten away. As your nose would begin to be eaten away, your toes and your ears would be eaten away as it began to, to spread. The disease would deaden your neural pathways. And eventually, it would lead to a slow death. As you go through the scriptures, many of you know that leprosy, the disease is given there in Leviticus chapter 13, but also throughout the scripture, it is a picture spiritually of sin. You see, sin, the leprosy of sin, does the same thing. It leaves us dead spiritually. And those who do not have Christ, who are not cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, will experience that spiritual death in their life. And what my prayer for anyone that is here listening to this, this teaching 
is that you would understand that your sin has made you spiritually dead. You're very much alive physically, but spiritually that you are dead because of trespasses and sins. But because of God's great love towards you and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, dying for your sins, that you can be cleansed from sin by the blood of Jesus. You can be forgiven. And that's the good news of the gospel. So it it is a picture of sin, but I want to bring it home closer to us as Christians, because as a Christian who gets involved in sin or is going down the roadway of carnality, compromise, whatever the case may be, that that is a picture of leprosy. Because what I mean by that is it usually it starts when we become cool in our devotion and in our love for God. It, it begins with small beginnings. We stop devotions. We stop praising God. We stop being in fellowship with others. We begin to entertain the things of the world, worldly pleasure and and things that are carnal and begin to please our flesh. It begins to eat away at us spiritually and it deadens our spiritual life and it begins to spread in that way. And as we look at Luke chapter 17, these 10 lepers here would call out from a distance. Now we know that Jesus, as we get back to our text here, that he's been healing lepers throughout the land. We know in Luke chapter 5, you might recall the story of the leper, Dr. Luke writes that he was full of leprosy, that came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, cleanse me. And it tells us that Jesus reached out and touched him. It was against the law to touch somebody with leprosy, but Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. And Dr. Luke writes that immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. That word would spread throughout Galilee what had taken place. But we also know two chapters later in Luke chapter 7 that when John in prison sent two of his disciples to Jesus, John being discouraged, hey, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? And Jesus said to those disciples, you go back and you tell John the things that you have seen and the things that you have heard that the blind see and the lepers are cleansed. So apparently that Jesus had cleansed lepers more than that one in Luke chapter 5. We also know that as you look at the synoptic gospels, that Jesus, when the multitudes were huge, and I heard one source saying that at times that the the crowds may have been as many as 40,000 people, that he was healing every kind of sickness and disease, leprosy would be a part of that, wouldn't it? So speaking of the work that Messiah was doing, knowing and hearing and seeing that, and these lepers call out to Jesus, and there are 10 of them, they are far off, and again, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I do not recall anywhere in the gospel that when a person asked Jesus for mercy, that he did not extend that mercy. Here are Jews, and at least one Samaritan, that in life would not have anything to do with each other. But there's one thing that they needed. There's one thing that they need that we all need, and that is the mercy of God. Because as I've mentioned, it's a picture of sin, and all of us were stricken with sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus would say in John's gospel, if I be lifted up, that is, if I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. 
And there's the greatest need that you and I have, and that is God's mercy in our lives. And as we look to the cross, Jesus lifted up. And as we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we come together as one. All of us, if all men, different generations that pass through from young to old, different cultures, different experiences, uh, different likes. And here we are together as one body in the body of Christ because of what Jesus Christ has done in extending his mercy and grace and forgiveness to us as we've called out to him. And then in verse 14, and when he saw them, and I like that, he saw them. He saw how that disease had eaten away at them, but he also saw them spiritually, how sin had eaten away at them like every man and every woman. The greatest need of God's grace and mercy is to be forgiven of sin. That's the greatest need that any man or any woman has. And maybe again this morning that there's somebody listening that that you have not come to Jesus for forgiveness. He is your forgiveness. There's none other that died for your sins. There's no one else that rose from the grave to prove that he's the son of God and he conquered sin and death. Only Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. And you can come to him. He sees you. He loves you. He saw you 2,000 years ago as he went to that cross. As he was walking down the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows to that place of execution, he knew all about you. He sees you here today on this first Sunday in May 2017. And he says, I love you. And I went to the cross to die for you that you can experience forgiveness and have forgiveness as you come to me and accept me as Lord and Savior and believe in me that I died for your sins and to know that you have right relationship with the Father and you have an eternal inheritance. And maybe you're here. We're going to give you that opportunity to just ask Jesus into your heart and into your life. But maybe, Christian, again, maybe you've been involved in sin And it has caused distance between you and God. He sees you and his love remains. He still loves you. And you see that sin, carnality, for any of us, it affects our closeness and fellowship with the Lord. And he desires for us to call out to him, to repent and confess that sin and be restored into closeness and fellowship with him. He saw them. He loved them. He's going to work on their behalf. He sees you and he loves you and he wants to work in your life. He's calling you to himself. And he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, I wonder what these 10 lepers thought when they heard the command of the Lord initially. Uh, Maybe they were thinking, aren't you going to come over here and and touch us and heal us like you did of uh, the leper of Luke chapter 5? Or at least you can say you are healed. You've been healing the lepers. You know, great miracles have been taking place, healing people of every sickness and disease. And what do you mean? Go show yourself to the priest. They're the ones that isolated us. They're the ones that told us we had leprosy. They're not going to be of any help. But evidently, as they heard the command of Jesus, they have this holy huddle. And they said, what do we got to lose? Let's do what he says. Let's go show ourselves to the priest. Some say priest because the Samaritan wouldn't be allowed to come to Jerusalem to the priest there at the temple. They had their own temple on Mount Garrison there that they would go to. 
But be that as it may, they obey his instructions. And they take the word of Jesus given to them. And even though they don't know exactly what the outcome's going to be, they don't know the rest of the verses here that we read. You know, that on their way they're going to be cleansed. But they just know that that's the command that was given to them. And they said, let's go. Let's go do what the master has told us to. Sometimes when we hear the command of the Lord, we think, Lord, are you blowing me off? Or this isn't going to work. I'm going to get the short end of the stick. This doesn't make sense. I don't know if this is going to work for me. This isn't logical. We don't know how it's going to work. But we are to trust the word that is given to us by him. And he tells us in his word that as we walk in that obedience and as we stand on his promises, that is going to be the vehicle in which he's going to work and heal and do miracles. And we're going to see his faithfulness in our lives. You see, it's in their obedience that they are cleansed. And in presenting themselves to the priests, the priests who would be the ones that would confirm that they were cleansed. Remember, there's no medical cure. And, and by taking a step of faith, by obedience to the word of the Lord given to them. At what point they were cleansed of their leprosy, we don't know. But all of a sudden, you know, they begin looking at each other. Don't think that they're stopping at the rest stop, you know, on the way and looking in the mirror and thinking, boy, all of a sudden I'm healed. But they're looking at each other and it's kind of like as they're together and it's like, Bill, you know, or, or whoever, you, you, your skin is pink. And you didn't have a nose yesterday. All of a sudden you got a nose. And, and they begin to be amazed and realizing that healing has taken place somewhere along the way. And it happened as they were walking towards Jerusalem to present themselves to the priests. Listen, how does the Lord oftentimes work in our lives? He says, I want you to start walking and you're going to see me working. Again, the reference to John chapter 9, the man who was born blind. Jesus spits on the ground. He makes mud. He wipes it on his eyes. He says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, if somebody came up to you, spit on the ground, you know, wiped mud in your eyes, told you to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and you were born blind, what would you do? He could have made excuses. He could have said, what do you mean go wash in the pool of Siloam? I got to find it. I'm blind. And, and you wiped mud in my eyes. You made things worse. But as he dared to do what the Lord told him to do and found his way to the pool, he washed and he came up seeing. And a miracle took place in his life. Listen, the Lord oftentimes says this, I want you to take a step of faith by obedience. I desire for you to start walking and you're going to see me working. A lot of times we say, Lord, we want to see you work first and then we'll start walking. The Lord desires to work in our lives as we just walk in that obedience and trust in his word and his commandment given to us. So what you are to do is go show yourselves to the priest. Why? Leviticus chapter 14. If you're cleansed or healed of leprosy, Leviticus chapter 14 would give instructions to the priest in confirming that healing, that cleansing in the day of his cleansing, verse 1 of chapter 14 of Leviticus, it reads, and the priest, what he would do is he would examine the individual. If he was found to have no leprosy, 
what he would do is then take two doves. He would take an earthen vessel. He would fill that earthen vessel with water. He would take a cedar stick. He would tie hyssop to it and then a scarlet thread. He would sacrifice one of the doves, drain the blood into the water, turning it into this crimson pool. He would then dip the hyssop in the water. He would sprinkle it on the leper seven times. And then he would take the other dove. He would dip it in that that crimson red dye in blood and water, and he would then set it free. The priest then would take that, that one who was cleansed of leprosy, and he would shave his head like a bowling ball, eyebrows, facial hair, his head, and put him away for seven days. He would be isolated. After seven days, he would then re-examine that individual. If there is no leprosy, it did not return, then the priest would publicly proclaim him to the worshipers at the temple that he's been cleansed. Then the priest would take a lamb. He would sacrifice the lamb and put the blood, some of the blood on the right ear, and the right thumb, and the big toe on his right foot. And he will also take the oil and he would apply it on the right ear and the right thumb on the big toe of his right foot as he would complete the ceremony of somebody who's been cleansed. You say, so what? What does that have to do with me this morning? We don't have time to go into it specifically, but it all speaks of Jesus. It speaks of what he has done for us, his sacrifice so that we could be freed and declared cleansed because of the blood of Jesus. And then as we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the blood on the ear, the right ear and the right thumb and the big toe on the right foot, and then the oil, oil in the Old Testament speaks of what? It speaks of the Holy Spirit. We are sanctified. And as the oil is applied to the ear and right thumb and the right you know, foot, the big toe there, it speaks to you and to me. As we are Christians, doesn't it affect the way that you walk and where you walk? We walk after the Lord. And Paul comes along and he writes to the Ephesian believers that you no longer walk according to the former lust, futility of mind, but you walk after Christ. It affects the way that we walk. It affects how we serve one another, the right thumb. We're to serve one another and we're to bless one another and the gifts that he's given to you and opportunities for you to do that. And then what it is that we take into our minds, to be renewed in our minds, to have the mind of Christ taken in the word of God, it should affect what it is that we listen to and what we're hearing. We need the word of God. We need the promises of God. We need to be encouraged and blessed by one another. So it speaks of Jesus. It speaks of what he wants to do in our lives. And people say, oh, Leviticus is a waste of time. So boring. I even have had pastors that laughed at me and put me down because we've gone through the book of Leviticus. Now in the Old Testament, There's no record whatsoever of Leviticus 14 ever being applied. There's three references of somebody having leprosy. 
One was Moses, before Leviticus even happened. When he was called to the mountain, the burning bush, and, and God called him, hey, Moses, you are to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses is making excuses. And the Lord's saying, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to work powers and pull out your hand out of your, your, your coat, your robe. And, and Moses did, and it was leprous. Put it back in and pull it back out, and it was cleansed. So that's the first example. The second example in the book of Numbers, when Moses' sister, Marian, came against him, spoke against Moses, and God struck her with leprosy. She would be put away, but she would then be cleansed. But there is no record whatsoever of the offering of Leviticus chapter 14. And then the third example of a person being cleansed of leprosy that we read in the Old Testament was Naaman, the Assyrian general who was a Gentile who had a servant girl from Israel. And she said, as he had leprosy, why don't you go see the miracle man, Elijah, in Israel there? And he goes, and Elijah sends his servant out to tell Naaman, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And as that message was given to Naaman, he was upset. He was furious initially. He's going back to Syria, and he's saying, Elijah wouldn't even come out to meet me. What an insult that is. I was a famous, and I am a famous general in Syria. And then one of the guys said, Naaman, what do you got to lose? Why don't you go dip in the Jordan River seven times? Just as the prophet Elijah said. And he goes and he dips seven times and he comes out and it says that he was cleansed completely at skin like, like baby skin. It was so, so clear and so pure. And he became a believer, but he went back to Syria. He didn't go to the temple to have the priests offer Leviticus chapter 14. So my point is this. What you have is before Jesus, the priest not applying Leviticus chapter 14 that we know of, never practiced until Jesus comes on the scene. And then all of a sudden, these lepers are showing up with the priest. And the priest must have been thinking, yeah, I know you. Yeah, we got a record of you. You had leprosy. And wow, you've been cleansed. And Leviticus chapter 14 we got to have a refresher course. We haven't practiced Leviticus 14 for 1,500 years. We got to make sure we got supplies. We got the earthen vessels and the hyssop and the cedar sticks and all of that. And they're seeing this happening. And the lepers showing up in Jerusalem was to be a testimony to Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest that Messiah was on the scene, that he was working, that he had come. This has taken place only days before Jesus would come to Jerusalem. And they are determined to have him arrested and killed. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He's sending lepers to be cleansed, you know, to make that, that testimony that they've been cleansed. And here the religious leaders, their hearts are so hard. And it's sad to see people today that... They see that you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We've been born again, alive spiritually, yet their hearts can be so hard towards the reality of Jesus in your life and in the life of others. But we got to finish this morning as we read in verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face and his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but were the nine? And were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith 
has made you well. When it tells that us that the Samaritan that was healed returned and with a loud voice, the word for loud voice is where we get our English word megaphone. I mean, he is excited. He's yelling. He's praising God. His arms are lifted up. He's waving his fingers now that he's got fingers. And he, he's worshiping the Lord. And then he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus, which is the ultimate picture of worship. And he gives thanks to Jesus. And then Jesus responds with three questions. He says, were there not ten? Were the other nine? And there are not any to come except this foreigner to give glory to God. Now, don't picture Jesus that as this man is worshiping him and praising him, that Jesus is looking up and saying, where are the other nine? Where'd they go? Weren't there 10 of you guys? And, and now this foreigner's here worshiping me and the other guy should be here and all upset and this. No, he knows the answers to the questions. He is grieved in a sense. And he's not taken away from this one that has come to worship him who is told that your faith has made you well. And scholars believe that what is being told to him is that you are saved, not well from the leprosy. That has happened. But because you're at my feet worshiping and giving thanks, you are well. It's well with your soul. The other nine, their bodies were made whole, but where were their hearts? We don't know for sure. But as we bring it home closer today, we see very clearly in this text how important it is that we are thankful and praising God for the cleansing that has happened to us, the cleansing of sin, and making us well, whole spiritually. It matters to him. It matters to him that we are thankful and we praise him for what he has done in our lives. He is the merciful high priest that has declared us cleansed of sin because of our faith in him. But what can happen as we journey in life, we as Christians, we forget to be thankful that we're not going to die because of sin, that we have an eternal hope, and that we can have that abundant life that he has for us. It was David that he would say, oh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and that is my prayer for you here at Calvary Chapel, for me and for my family that you would restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You see, for a lot of you, when you first got saved, it was this way for me. I was so thankful that, man, I felt alive, and I was so thankful that I was forgiven, and I was so excited about reading the Word and being in church and just being able to worship. I never knew what that was like, to worship the Lord. And I know that many of you have experienced that. And then as life goes on, all of a sudden we start to lose that. We're not as thankful. We begin to complain and murmur and life gets mundane. And are we only thanking them one out of ten times? We are to be thankful every day and not take for granted this incredible mercy and grace and love that has been given to us. As Paul would write to the church of Thessalonica, rejoice always and pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It is important to him. And notice, not only did he notice what was done, but he noticed what wasn't done. 
He noticed and he is grieved when they didn't, the other nine come back to give thanks. You know, there's a lot of books written out there on how to have a victorious Christian life, how to be a strong Christian, you know, all of this, mountains of books out there. Some of them are good, some of them are, eh. I'll tell you the key, that you be thankful. And a Christian who is thankful, coming to the Lord and saying, thank you, Lord, that you've saved me and forgiven me, will cause you to praise him, will cause you to want to love him, will cause you to want to learn of him. The key is to be thankful. That's all over the New Testament. That you be thankful. That's going to lead to worshiping him. That's what we see here. He came back and he's praising the Lord. He's thankful. He's falling at the feet of Jesus and praising him. And that is the key for you and for me. We have been forgiven of sin. We are not going to go to hell because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and forgiven us of our sins. And we have every day to be thankful. And I know that we go through seasons in life and we go through experiences in life where we think, Lord, I'm not very thankful, but in everything we can be thankful that, Lord, I have you and I have the hope of heaven and your promises are true and I can come and eat and drink of you because I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I know that I will be satisfied. It starts with having a thankful heart and then will lead to a praising heart that will then lead to a heart for him and knowing him. Never take for granted this great salvation that we have. But praising him every day. That's why we come to the communion table. It's not just an exercise that we do for the believer once a month on the first Sunday of the month. It is as we hold those elements, that, thank you, Lord. It brings us all together at the communion table, to the cross, saying, thank you, Lord. Did you allow your body to be broken and your bloodshed for forgiveness of sin? And I have eternal life. And I am forgiven that comes through Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this little story that many of us are familiar with. But, Lord, it reminds us of the importance of a Christian being thankful every day of our lives for a great salvation that we have and your work of cleansing us from sin. And, Lord, I pray that it would affect the way that we walk with you and how we serve you and one another, what it is that we put into our minds. And I pray if there's anyone listening today in this building or live stream or on the radio later, that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. We have all been stricken with the leprosy of sin. And there's a death sentence. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life, the free gift, comes through Jesus Christ on the cross. He shed his blood that you may be cleansed of sin. Be forgiven. Have the hope of eternal life. In relationship with the true and living God, the Father that only comes through Jesus. He alone died for you. He alone rose from the grave. No one else. That's why the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no other salvation. And today is the day of salvation. If that's you, will you please pray in sincerity of your heart, confessing that you are a sinner in need of Jesus. He loves you. That's why he went to the cross for you. 
because he wants to have relationship with you, closeness with you. And you pray, Jesus, I come to you, and I am a sinner, but I know that you love me, and you died for me. Forgive me of my sins. And I believe that you are alive. You rose from the grave because you're speaking to my heart, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and forgiving me. Help me to know you, to live for you, to walk closely with you all the days of my life. I thank you for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And if anybody here, you prayed that prayer, as Pastor John's going to come up at the end of the service, will you tell him the decision you made? Because we want to bless you in any way that we can. But now as we come to the communion tables, we hold the elements in our hands. May this be a time of just worship and being thankful for this new covenant that we belong to. Jesus allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name. The ushers are going to hand out the communion elements. There's two cups to remind you of. The, the bread's on the bottom and then the juice. Hang on to them and we'll partake of them together. Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together
And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus came and died, but we also know that you're going to come and you're going to reign and rule. And we're going to have dinner with you. I look so forward to that time because you have cleansed us of sin because of your work on the cross. And we're so grateful for that. And I pray that we would be ones that we would walk closely with you, serve one another, continue to stand on your promises, taking in the word of God into our minds, renewing our minds. And Lord, I do pray that we would be a light to others. Father, I know that some come in and maybe the world has begun to eat away at you. (coughs) That, Lord, that you would strengthen them, call them to yourself, and bless them. Let them know that you love them. And you desire for them to experience that abundant life that you have for them that only comes through you and closeness with you. Bless everyone here as we go our way, Lord. And thank you for this morning. Thank you for the services and the work that you've done in the hearts of your people. May we take you with us, continue on, being a testimony to others that we've been cleansed and that we are alive spiritually. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.